This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, Moving from Success to Significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. From that, it's really more of a self-assessment. Do you have what it takes to be a missional entrepreneur? But there are other things that you're not the CEO of the company. There are other things that you need in that company. You need a CFO. You need a CEO. You need a CTO. So we, we find that there are really more teams that are coming out of this than there are individuals. And with many countries closing their borders or greatly restricting access by missionaries, sending teams of mission-minded entrepreneurs is part of the next great wave in the missions movement. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Steve Haynes. Now, you may remember Steve from episode number three, and we wanted to check in with him to shine a light on what the navigators are doing for people in the workforce, both here in the States and around the world through using business as missions. My partner, John Ramstead, wasn't able to be a part of this interview, so this is how I got this conversation started with Steve Haynes on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on Eternal Leadership, we are bringing back one of my personal favorite guests that we've had on, Steve Haynes from The Navigator. Steve, thanks for coming back. Thank you. You're very grateful. Steve, for listeners that didn't listen to the first interview that we did with you, you told your story and... You've lived an extraordinary life. And for those that don't have time to go back to that first one, give us just a little three to five minute synopsis of your story, because it's one of the reasons why John and I were so impressed with you. Well, you know, it's, uh, I always tell people that it's really just God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people who are totally submitted to him and who are really broken. I personally believe God doesn't use people because they are broken. It's that he doesn't want to use people until they are broken. And so uh, I had uh, uh, five years in the Army, Special Forces, uh, two years in Vietnam with Colin Powell, with my captain. Uh, I had came back and did the first 20 years of my career in the credit card industry. Uh, with some small companies like General Electric and uh, Citicorp and PBS, and then transitioned over into the federal government, another incredible story there, but became uh, national security and cybersecurity to, uh, as a presidential advisor to George Bush Sr., uh, Bill Clinton, G.W. Bush, and one administration of uh, Obama. And then uh, January 2011 came out to Colorado Springs, to help the navigators start up their workplace ministry, and then now working over into the international side of the navigators, building what we call Global Enterprise Network, or GIN. And with your job at the navigators, your Faith at Work division, talk a little bit more about that and that initiative. Okay. So uh, I started Faith at Work uh, at MY. MYFAW.org. Uh, you can go there. It's really nothing more than a conference call. We invite people on there to come and speak about how God has used them in the workplace, whether it be failure, which I preference, or success. And then we post their uh, their interview or their message up on the website to download every time. 
We started uh, in November of 2010. Uh, within six months, we had over 59,000 people uh, either coming in and downloading those uh, interviews or listening online. We do it four times a day at 12 o'clock. That's either Eastern Time, Central Time, uh, Mountain Time, or Pacific. And if you miss it, you can always go and download the, the MP3 at a later date. So that scared me to death that 59,000 people were doing this. I thought, for sure, the navigators were going to fire me. <laughs> like, this is not our DNA. We don't do this. But uh, now, since we've come to Colorado Springs, uh, we've added another, uh, oh, I would say 5,000 people who listen online. But one of the things we just did a few weeks ago is we expanded to uh, what the Facebook would call a business account. And you can open that up into other countries, specifically in that country. And in the last three weeks, we've had another 15,000 people who were in countries like Egypt, Syria, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera, that are listening to us or downloading our MP3 on Facebook work. It's incredible. Now, the phone calls are a weekly mm -hmm. phone call. How long do they last? What time can people tune in? Shoot, 12 o'clock, where we are. Uh, and it's uh, half an hour. If, if you go to myfaw.org, you'll see the time, the, the phone number and the access code. It lasts for a half an hour on the phone. But when we hang up at 1230, what we really encourage people to do is download the, the, the sheet that we have that's taken out a little bit more detail. And so from 1231, you can invite somebody in your, your conference room or your office or down to Starbucks or someplace and go a little bit deeper into that conversation, which is always fun. I hear more and more stories about people who uh, have great conversations after the conference call. As a matter of fact, one of the high security places in Washington, D.C., the chief of staff there uh, is a Christian and he invites about 250 people into this classified conference room. They, they put the, the conference call on mute, listen to it for half an hour, and then 250 people uh, break up into eight or ten people at the table and go into further discussions. That's awesome. And it's 12 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Central, 12 o'clock Mountain, 12 o'clock Pacific. So that way people in their in those time zones can listen to it live and then if for some reason you miss it you have the ability to download that mp3 that's correct, that's correct. so uh, the reason that i wanted to bring you back on was because you and i had a conversation about really what the navigators are doing nav workplace is doing to equip people that have a heart for missions hmm. but we're finding that countries are either restricting the number of missionaries that they let in or even closing the doors entirely. So talk a little bit about that, how you're equipping people with a missionary heart to use business as mission to get into those countries. Sure, sure. So that's the international side of the navigator, what we call GEN or Global Enterprise Network. And we have five phases there. The first phase is, when, and matter of fact, we have one coming up here October 9 and 10, if you want, I'll send the thing to you later on. You can post that invitation. But we have uh, people who come from either colleges or military or uh, sometimes it's businesses that want to expand their business into other countries. But especially the whole millennial group, they love this approach. 
And what we do in three days, it's a grueling three days to be quite honest with you. We're not trying to convince you that this is the best way to do missionary work. What we're doing is preparing you to see if you have what it takes to be what we call a missional entrepreneur. An entrepreneur that goes in with a business and is there primarily to advance the gospel, but he does it through the growth of his own business. So in that three days, we teach an individual how to put together a business plan. We teach them how to put together a three to five year budget, how to present their company via PowerPoint or something. Uh, and we give them the whole thing about what it's to take to be a business owner. Uh, then we do some training exercises on Saturday, uh, team exercises. And then Saturday at five o'clock, we say, okay, tomorrow morning uh, at nine o'clock, we're inviting five or seven real investors into to the navigators, and they're going to uh, interview you in a shark tank environment, and uh, they're either going to invest monopoly money into you, or they're going to say, you're fired. <laughs> we know who said that one. Uh, and uh, so it's really, I mean, you figure they've got the night to get ready at 9 o'clock on Sunday to start this. And uh, from that, it's really more of a self-assessment. Do you have what it takes to be a missional entrepreneur? But there are other things. If you're not the CEO of the company, there are other things that you need in that company. You need a CFO. You need a CEO. You need a CTO. So there's, we, we find that there's really more teams that are coming out of this than there are individuals. So from that, then, we will invite people into what we call global enterprise training. Get. Get is where we go a little bit deeper, about a 12 week program. We put them through um, uh, how to, how to uh, what we call get a business in a box. We've got about a half dozen businesses that we can say, hey, here's a business that will help you get started. I wanted an aquaponics, if you're not familiar with that. Uh, that's a fascinating concept, uh, growing food uh, through fish water. Deeper than that, <laughs> but uh, it's a, a self-sustaining way of growing produce to help you sustain your ministry. One day, uh, we have a, a pallet making business. We have a, a one that's called Ident. It's a dental chair that you can take into a, a village and work on people's dental uh, work. We train you how to be a dentist in an environment like that. Uh, to do simple chemistry work. Uh, we have another one that's a clothing manufacturing company. So we give you a business in a box. Here's your box, shrink wrap it, send it to the country you're going to, and it'll, it will uh, help you pick it up, get it started. So we also uh, help people by getting them a mentor or a coach, somebody who can walk alongside of them as they grow this business. We think that is one of the areas we really have failed missionaries in the past. We send them and the family off, and in two or three years, they come back total failure. And uh, so that's an area we really try and help them. We also are doing something that's totally different than anybody else, and that is we have a list of donors and or investors who, when they see this missionary, this missional entrepreneur, they say, I'd like to invest in that company. It looks like something that's going to be successful but I want a return on my investment. And so they will support them through an investment, 
Houston until uh, they can uh, get up and running and get their feet on the phone. The last two things we do is we deploy them uh, through what we call uh, helping them get commissioned. Uh, one of the things I think we haven't done a very good job, another thing we haven't done a very good job at is commissioning missionaries. We do that with pastors, but we don't do that with missionaries. We just kind of pack their family up into a plane and fly them someplace and say, good luck. Yeah, we'll pray for you. But uh, in that commissioning process, we help them get their paperwork together, their visa and their paperwork or, or work permit, things like that. And then lastly, we deploy them, and when they land, we hook them up with a uh, indigenous person that can help them get their feet on the ground, make connections with the right kind of people, make political connections, and, uh, and help them get their business started. I think that's pretty amazing that what you're doing is you're also trying to weed out those that are not necessarily the CEO of this idea, but somebody who can come alongside and help in that in that support structure. Because so many people that try and start businesses, they fail at an astronomical rate. And yet what you guys are trying to do, are, are you guys seeing some fruits with that idea of weeding some people out that may not necessarily be a good fit? Are you guys seeing a better success rate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and my theory behind that is that I'd rather you fail here the week you get to the field and fail there and have to pack up and come back. Uh, you know, there, there are ways of being a missionary in this new approach uh, than being, rather than just being the CEO of the company or the entrepreneur. There's all kinds of support people that are needed. So we're really trying to set a team of people up, not just an individual. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that you, you said something that most people say is this new approach. You know, it's really not a new approach. When you think of Acts chapter 8, this is what Paul did. You know, he went into uh, Corinth, found Priscilla and Aquila, and worked with them. They were both in the tent-making business, and so they became a team. And a tent, we think a tent you know, from the concept of going camping at the weekend. But the tents that they worked on were really not little pup tents, but these were people's homes. You know, they're working with the leak in their roof or their door that doesn't shut. And while they're in their home there, they're telling them about Jesus. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. So you guys have been doing this intentionally for how long and then unintentionally for how long? Because this is something you and I talked about previously. Yeah. I would say we've been doing this unintentionally for about uh, 20-some years, 20, 25 years, where we have businesses uh, out there in the field, if you will, that have been running. Uh, you know, some missionary got there and had uh, have some help with uh, his support uh, that was uh, depleting. And so he would start some kind of a business that he saw that he could make a little bit of money off of. And sometimes it was extremely successful. Sometimes it was minor successful. But we probably got about 20 or 25 of those kind of businesses out there in the missionary field already. Uh, and then intentionally, probably for the last three or so years, we've started putting together how would we really make this work if we wanted to make this intentionally doing it? Uh, we're working through an organization, uh, which I will mention, to uh, work with uh, investors. Uh, that probably is a new concept. But one of the things that was a real surprise to me as I went with this organization a few weeks back 
and uh, they had some new programs that they were talking to their investors about. At the end, they asked if I would stand up and give them a half an hour message on what we're doing with the Local Enterprise Network. And these guys whipped out their checkbooks and were getting ready to write me checks. I was like, wait a minute, we're, we're not ready to take money yet. We're probably a good six months to a year away from uh, getting ready to start taking investments on this. But uh, it was a shock to me that these people were that ready to invest in something like this. So tell me some of the stories of, of what you've seen during this time. Sure. Uh, we have uh, one business uh, down in South America that goes and picks uh, uh, mangoes and packages them. And you may have even seen them sold in some of the stores around here. There's a little uh, uh, package that they put them in that dried mangoes in there, which are high energy type things. Uh, I know, for example, uh, uh, the outlet store up here in Colorado Springs is the sports place. Uh, throw Bass, they sell them. Uh, and he, he, he uh, has about 100 women that he's given jobs to for drying these mangoes out and packaging them so that he shipped to the United States. Uh, that's great when you think that here's 100 women in South America and this country that are now employed and have a, a reputation and respect from people in the neighborhood that they're contributing something to them. Another one is a guy who was a, uh, a taster for Starbucks uh, for coffee. And that's a whole, I mean, that trade right there to be tasters is really something to get coffee. Every cup of coffee tasting exactly the same way. But he went to South America, I won't say where, and uh, uh, he, as they would come through and scrape these beans off, it's all about production, uh, but they would leave some of these beans uh, in the tree at the top of the trees. Well, those are the premium beans. So he asked permission if he could go up and handpick these premium beans, he brews them there, and now he ships them to high-end restaurants in New York and California, making millions of dollars, literally, uh, off of this business. So it's things like that that uh, we're looking to reproduce, maybe not coffee, maybe not mangoes, but uh, uh, I think I talked about the three or four things that we do have available that we call to give missionaries a business in a box to go start. So, Steve, your position with the Navigators is a support-raised position. And so if any listeners love what you're doing and they want to join you, they want to come alongside you, they want to be the Aaron and her that are helping to hold up your arms as you champion this movement in training up missionaries to be successful business people out there in foreign countries – how can people come alongside and support you? Thank you for that. Uh, you know, I always tell people, I simply tell them what God is doing. And if you want to be part of that, uh, I'm not looking for donations. I'm not asking you to give me your money. What I am saying is I'm giving you the opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God. You know, when we think of our 401k, we get up every day and we go and we see how much money we earned or lost the night before. But then when you're investing in the kingdom of God, you never have a loss. It's always on the positive side. So it doesn't matter to me how much you want to give, but how much you're trusting God to use your income, your finances, to advance the kingdom of God. 
So uh, you can do that through, uh, go to myfaw.org and click on donation and you'll see a link there in the button to donate to AIM. Thank you. Steve, we love you. We love what you're doing and we want to continue to support you. And if you ever have any amazing stories that you'd love to share with the listeners, please let me know. All right. I'd love that. Thank you, Steve. If you'd like to learn more information about the weekly Faith at Work phone calls, the Global Enterprise Network, or if you'd like to learn more about partnering with Steve, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 094. That's eternalleadership.com slash 094. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by the Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book Halftime, moving from success significance and in the more than 21 years since then more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold it's touched baby boomers in the 90s and it's now touching the lives of both gen xers who are in that midlife season asking is this all there is as well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement to get a free copy of the book just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime and after you read the book if you have any questions you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching, eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't be kidding a free bestseller. Next time on Eternal Leadership, author and leadership coach, Joe Roberts. A lot of it starts for me very often, and I don't know if you found this, John, for you, but a lot of the best leaders are actually kind of reluctant leaders. You know, people who maybe found themselves in a leadership position and they're saying now, oh my gosh, what do I do now? And, and how do I... Uh, again, form a team? How do I uh, uh, accomplish the role uh, that, and then what is my role? And, and I think that's right. There's a lot of role confusion in that. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.